Man, it's good to be here with all of you this morning. Obviously, I'm not sunny, uh, much better looking. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, he is on a sabbatical, and you go like, well, what is a sabbatical? Well, a sabbatical is a time uh, that, that uh, we designate for our, our pastor to take every single year, a few weeks out of the year, just to get refreshed, to, take, to spend time with his family, spend time with the Lord. And uh, I told the guys at Bravehearts this last week that I actually, actually love when Sonny goes on a sabbatical. Not because Sonny's gone, okay, but but I love when when he comes back. He's always just filled up uh, with what God is showing him. And so it's not just—I mean, he's not just at Disneyland. He's actually seeking the Lord and and taking time just to be refreshed in the Lord's presence. Because man, being a pastor's hard. Um, because I've, I've worked in church for a long time and I grew up uh, as a pastor's kid. I know the kind of toll that being a pastor, especially a senior pastor, can, can take on you. And it's just, it's a, it's a heavy burden. So we love to have the opportunity uh, to, to let him get away for just a few weeks and get refreshed in the Lord and spend time with his family. So that's where he's going to be for the next few weeks. But church doesn't stop. Amen. So I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity to get to preach, uh, to actually start a series that we're going to be starting over the, or we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. And Sonny's going to come back and uh, finish it up when he gets done with his sabbatical. Uh, but we're going to start a new, a new series this morning called Healthy Church. Um, and I'm excited about this, uh, about this series, because when we talk about being a healthy church, you go like, well, what, what does that mean necessarily? Well, it's not really about programs, although those are great. And it's not really about good music like we had this morning. It's not about having like really good looking preachers like me, or I don't know why I keep talking about how good looking I am. Anyway, maybe I should stop that. And it's not really about how cool you are or relevant you are as a church. It's not really about uh, the name on the outside of the building or the size or the stature of, of your church. What being a healthy church is all about is, is a church, a group of people that are on point, on mission with Jesus and his kingdom. And the only way that I can define a healthy church is actually to look into scripture you know, so we have kind of these thoughts that we have about what church should be and how they should look, especially if you've grown up in church. You think, well, this is what this looks like. Uh, but Jesus actually had a lot to say about how we are to be together, what we are supposed to do together, how are we supposed to treat one another, and how that we're supposed to do this thing we call church. And so we're kind of just launching out this morning uh, in this series, and I'm really excited about uh, where he's going to take us. About being a healthy church is really just about being a church that clearly knows why it exists. Like we know why we are here. And just like Sonny has shared last, last week, it says that God, he said that God is looking for a revival generation, a revival generation. And I'll take it even a step further that God is looking for revival churches. People, a generation, but also churches that are willing to say, I'm going to lay down my life to see his kingdom come in this place. I don't know about you, but I want my life, what I'm, what I'm a part of, I want it to, to be for Jesus and his kingdom 
Amen? You see, we still need to believe, regardless of how we may have, any past experiences we've had at church or whatever, we still need to believe that, that the church is the hope of the world. Okay? We still need to believe that. And it's time for the church, it's time for us to rise up, not shrink back. Now's not the time to pull away, but to press in and to take our place as the light of the world, to take our place as that city set on a hill. You see, we see the very first mention of the word church in Matthew 16, okay? Jesus was the first one to actually mention the word church. And right here in Matthew 16, he says, You've probably heard this story, but it says, who do, who do they say the Son of Man is? And they, you know, his disciples answer, well, some say that you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, and some say you're one of the prophets. But then he asks his disciples, he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter has this amazing moment of brilliance, okay? Y'all have heard this story, right? Is this amazing moment of brilliance, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes, man, you're awesome, Peter. You're so awesome. God, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he goes on to say, this is the first mention of the church, that upon this rock, upon this church, or upon this truth, rather, I will build my church. So the church, its foundation is built on Jesus, that he is the Son of God. Okay, every church, every church, regardless of what flavor, should have this at its foundation, that Jesus is the risen, victorious Son of God. We, can never, we, we, we can't ever argue about that. That is the foundation of the church. It is Jesus, and he is the Son of God. So the foundation on which Jesus is building his church is on this truth, Jesus is the Son of God. If the church's foundation is Jesus and he wants to build his church, that begs the question, why? Why does he want to build a church? What is his motivation? What moves his heart to build his church? And it's really, it's one simple word, love. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be talking about love. So our key text this morning, and we've all heard this, you probably had a t-shirt that had this scripture on it at, at some point. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world he gave. What was his motivation? Love. If we are his church, and love is his motivation, and Jesus is the foundation, what should be our foundation and our motivation? Jesus and love, right? Jesus should be the foundation of our life, and love should be the motivation of our life. But here's, here's a big issue. You cannot give what you have not received. You cannot give what you have not received. So if I had, um, if I took Clint car, I said, hey, Clint, can I borrow your truck? And he gives me the keys to his truck. 
and I take it and then I give it to somebody else. I say, here, here you go. You can borrow my truck. Did Clint say that I could have his truck? No, he just gave me the keys. See, I cannot, get, unless I've received that pickup from Clint and he gave it to me, I can't give it away, right? It's the same thing with Jesus. And see that, I mean, Clint's a nice guy. He gave it to me, but I haven't received, totally fully received it, so I can't give it away. So the love of God is a lot the same way. You cannot give love without first receiving the love of Christ. You cannot love without it. See, 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. So you can't even love at all unless you have received his love. So the big idea this morning and the, the thing that I, if you're a note taker, you can write this down. This is the only love I can give is the love I receive. So let's ask another question. Have you received his love? Ask yourself that question this morning. Have I received his love? Can we just take a self-assessment this morning? And you may be thinking like, I'm saved. I'm a believer. You know, I love Jesus. I know he loves me. So I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I, I've received his love. And I think if you're a believer this morning to an extent, yes, you have. You have received this free gift of salvation, which is done. His motivation of giving you that gift is his love for you and me. But may I propose to you this morning that there is a possibility that you may be saved, eternally secure, going to heaven, but not living in his love. Let's ask ourselves a few questions just to kind of see where we're at. How are my relationships doing? Just ask yourself, like, how are my relationships with God? Is my relationship with God thriving? Is it, you know, life-giving? Is it vibrant? How are my relationships with others? Are those relationships thriving and, and growing and all of those things? How's my marriage going? Is it thriving? Is it flourishing? Is it God-honoring? Am I at peace? We talked about peace a little bit this morning. Do I feel a sense of peace, his nearness to me? Do I, do I feel a sense of his presence with me? Do I feel a sense of purpose? Like I'm, I'm doing what God's calling me to do. I'm walking every day. I'm walking with the Lord. He's speaking to me. I, I have a sense of purpose. I get up every day and I, I can feel him behind me. Am I bearing good fruit? Are the things that you're doing, is it bearing good fruit or bad fruit? Okay, I think we, it's no mystery. We know when we do something, it bears bad fruit, right? We do something and it bears good fruit. Are you bearing good fruit in your life? Are, are things going well or are things going badly? So those are just a few questions we could ask ourselves, but the purpose of that is not to make, make us go, oh man, man, things are terrible. But it's the purpose to help reveal whether or not we're living in his love. Not living on love, like Alan Jackson would say, but living in his love. There's a difference, okay? The great theologian, Alan Jackson. Um, 
Let's look at John 15. I think most of us are familiar with this passage of scripture, but man, this is loaded with just some incredible truth. John 15, 8 through 11. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So let's give a little bit of context to this scripture, because context really is important. When you're looking at scripture, what's going on in this moment that really reveals the weight and importance of what Jesus is saying. See, this moment is actually right before the moments leading up to that Jesus was about to be betrayed, arrested, and killed. Jesus knows what's about to happen, okay? He knows what's coming. The enemy is coming, okay? It's like the Alamo. There's 12 of them. There's a lot more guys coming, okay? It's an intense moment, so on the surface, it looks like, you know, Jesus is just having the, hey, gather around, guys, the campfire, let's have this, let's have a talk about fruit. No, I mean, no, it's intense, okay? He knows that the enemy's coming, he's about to be arrested, and he's about to have to go to the cross. And he gathers his disciples around, and this is what he says. Listen, guys, listen to me carefully. Abide in my love. Live in my love. Just as I live in the Father's love, you live in my love. And here's what he says. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. When we live in his love, that it doesn't matter really what's going on around us, that we can experience the fulfillment and life and joy of knowing Jesus in every circumstance. So Jesus is, 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 is talking to his disciples. He's saying, man, things are about to go south here, okay? Things are about to get crazy. Here's what I need you to know. Live in my love. Know how much I love you. Don't get outside of my love. Don't get into fear. Stay in my love. Just as I stay in the Father's love in the middle of this moment, you stay in my love for you. And I say these things to you so that you're, my joy, it says, I think in Hebrews, that, I think it's in Hebrews, I don't want to be blasphemous, but he says that the, the, joy, the joy set before him, he endured the cross, right? So it was his joy that allowed him to walk through that in, incredibly painful, hard moment. So Jesus is saying that same joy, if you'll live in my love, that same joy will be in you and your joy will be full. You see, everything works in your life, in my life, by his love by abiding in his love. You see, apart from living in his love, I cannot bear fruit. A little bit before this passage here, it says that apart from me, you can do nothing. 
not just you can't do, you know, certain things. He said, apart from me, apart from living and abiding in me, you can't do anything. You can't do anything outside of his love. You will not bear fruit unless you receive his love. So if things aren't going well in your life today, and if you're experiencing a level of futility in your relationships, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your finances, in your work, if you're experiencing a lot of futility and a lot of stuff that's, that's just not well, maybe, just maybe, we are not abiding and living in his love, okay? And even if, even if you aren't experiencing those things, Sometimes I think we just do life, right? And we're just going a million miles an hour and we just miss the fact that he's going, hey, live in my love. Maybe things aren't going horrible, but we're just blowing past. We're just, we're just going, going, going and missing what God has for us. And we're missing the fruit that he wants to bear in our life. So the only love I can give is the love that I receive. So let's ask another question. How do I receive this love? Romans 5, 2 through 8. says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Did y'all hear that? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's the good news, that there is not any work that you must do to receive his love. Okay, you can't earn it. Most of us probably would say, I, you know, I don't deserve it, right? You can't earn it. It's only received. And here's the good news. If you are in Christ this morning, if you're a believer and you said yes to Jesus, that you have already received it. You've already received his love because it says that God's love has already been poured into your hearts in Christ Jesus. Meaning that when I became a believer, that his love was poured out in my heart. So how easy is it, is it to live in his love? Well, it's pretty easy. You just got to believe that you have received it. Okay. And and you say, well, there there must be something that we have to do, right? I mean, we have to jump through some hoops. We got to get no, you receive it. It is a gift, a free gift. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he has loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, 
he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. His measure of love will always be the cross. That is, that is his measure, his display of his love. It will always be the cross. Always be the cross. And that finished work is what has given us access to this love that we're talking about. And it is our faith, our belief in this work, and our belief in Jesus that his Holy Spirit indwells our hearts. So what am I saying? When God's spirit indwells our hearts, all of the full measure of his love comes with it. Not just a little bit, but all of it. All of his love. Because of his great love, he died for us, making us alive in Christ, giving us hope. So if you feel hopeless, full of shame, condemned, or on the outside looking in this morning, we just need to wake up to the fact that all of his love has been poured into our hearts. That there is no room for us to feel condemned this morning. There is no room for us to, uh, to feel ashamed this morning at all. Why? Because the full measure of his love has been poured into our hearts. It cannot be taken away. It, it is what it is. If you're a believer, it is what it is. You say, well, I don't feel love. It doesn't matter if you feel it or not. It is. <laughs> it is. His love, his full measure of love is in our hearts. If you're in Christ today, it is. It's there. Jesus wants to pour out his Holy Spirit into our heart this morning. He wants to shower you with his love. I don't care what you've done. He doesn't either. He wants to shower you with his love. And even if everything's going great and life is good, Jesus wants to shower you with his love today. Ephesians 3, 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be, here, here it is, filled with all the fullness of God. Jesus desires for us to be rooted, grounded, safe, secure in his love, to know his love, to know it. And it doesn't make sense. It says that it surpasses knowledge. You can't figure it out. It makes no sense that Jesus, someone perfect, would die for sinners like us. But here's the, re here's the thing. Is we're not sinners anymore. We're not just sinners saved by grace. That we are found, rooted, grounded in his love. His love cannot be understood any other way but to receive it and experience it. That's the only way to understand it. And even then, it still doesn't make sense. It's so crazy 
is so amazing. It's more than our human minds could comprehend. The love of Jesus for me. It's more than we could even understand. The only love I can give is the love I receive. For God so loved the world that he gave. The love that comes from the Father should move us to a place of giving that same love. So now that we have received his love and know that we have already received his love, well, how do we give that love? How do we model what Jesus has modeled that he gave? How do we, how do, we do that? So let's look at it. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees are talking to Jesus and they try to trap him. They try to do that a lot. You know, Jesus would be going from town to town and they would, these guys would show up and they'd ask him a question, right? They'd say, hey, what do you think about this? And what they were trying to do, do is for him to say something that would go against the law so that they could say, he's guilty of, you know, blasphemy, let's arrest him, let's stone him, let's do something. They're trying to get rid of Jesus, right? Trying to trap him, okay, by asking questions. And they ask him this question in Matthew 22, what the greatest commandment is. They ask him, hey, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says this, he says, this is the first and greatest commandment that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Okay, we're all familiar with that. And he says, the second greatest commandment is that you love your neighbor as yourself. Upon both of these commandments hang all of the law and prophets. So basically what Jesus says is that all 613 laws that you, you guys go by, I'm going to boil it down to two. I'm going to take your 613 laws, and here's, the, here's, here's two that you need to live by. Love God, love people. Love God, love others. And you go, oh, that's too simple. Well, this is, this is the words of Jesus, you know, the Son of God. He says... This is it right here. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you may be thinking like, man, I think I got the loving God thing down. You know, that's pretty easy. You know, I love Jesus. I'm at church. You know, I like to worship. You know, I, you know, God loves me. I love him. You know, I'm good with that. But loving others, that's a little bit harder, right? <laughs> that's a little bit of a tougher task, right? And I'm sure we can all think of people, people in our life that are really hard to love. And now married couples, you can keep your elbows to yourself, okay? Keep them, all right? Let's take it easy. Well, there's people in our life that are really hard to love. We've all experienced that, but Jesus has a ton, a ton to say about loving others that we better pay attention to. John 13, again, this is kind of the context right before Jesus is about to be arrested. And these are some of the most important last words that Jesus has to share with his disciples before he goes to the cross. John 13, 34 through 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Remember the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus just raised the bar. He says, a new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved. See, the price tag went up. How does Jesus love? 1 John 3.16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loves by laying down his life. So what is he saying to his disciples? Love one another like I love. How do I love? I lay down my life. I don't know about you, but that's, that's, a, that's a big standard, right? That's tough. Because, I mean, I love Brant, but I would have a hard time taking a bullet for Brant. I'm just being honest. Like my wife, I love her in a different way. I'll take a bullet for her. But Jesus says, this is how I love. Love one another like this, that you lay down your life for one another. That's the standard of love. That is the love of Christ. The love of Christ that it can only be received and only attained and only accessible by knowing Jesus and having his Holy Spirit poured out. And I can't, I can't love the way that Jesus loves unless his Holy Spirit has been poured out in my heart. I cannot do it. It's too difficult. Remember Romans 5 says that he's poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So at the moment we believe he indwells our hearts with his spirit and his spirit comes with all of the love that we're talking about. So whenever I feel unable to love, I feel weak in my ability to love others or even love myself. I just need to remember that I have access because of his Holy Spirit. I have access to the immeasurable love of Christ through his spirit that is within my heart. See, scripture says also in John 3 that he gives his spirit without measure. He pours out his spirit and he keeps pouring out his spirit and he keeps pouring out his spirit and never stops, never stops, never stops. It's not a one-time deal. It's not a one-time, I mean, it's like the, it's like the, you know, the, the soda fountain at, at Taco Bell. You can just keep going back. Oh, I don't know why Taco Bell, somewhere better than that. Um, but you can keep going back and filling it up, filling it up, and they don't charge you. It's free, right? Well, you paid for it once. But anyway, so Jesus paid for your drink, and you can keep it. Never, never mind. So you can just keep, it just keeps coming. His love, his spirit, it just keeps coming keeps coming. He keeps pouring it out, pouring it out, pouring it out. So whenever I feel like I'm weak and I can't love the way that Jesus loves, guess what? He's, he's pouring it out. He's pouring it out. You just have to receive it. You just got to get under where he's pouring it out. Get into a place where you receive this love. With his immeasurable spirit, comes access to immeasurable love. Not just good feeling, lovey-dovey, romantic comedy kind of love, but the kind of love, that the love that is willing to lay down its life. So that's some pretty simple, profound truth about the love of Christ. But I'm kind of a practical guy. 
okay? I like, you know, well, tell me, tell me what I should do, okay? So I'm going to give you three ways, okay? Three simple ways that you can show the love of Christ to the people around you. Number one is being present. Being present. Being present is not just about being there physically or when it's convenient, but being present is about being present in the good times and bad times with people. Being present for most of us flesh out, fleshes out in our family, right? With our spouse, our kids, our loved ones, people that we are in family with. But one, one of the biggest gifts of love that I can give my wife and my children is that I'm not just physically there, but I'm, fi- I'm continually being filled with the love of Christ. That whenever I show up at home, I'm bringing all of the full measure of the love of Jesus in the door with me. Because if you have three small children, sometimes when you walk in, it's like, oh, wow, you know, what's going on here? My wife is amazing. I'm not trying to bat. She's amazing. Okay. Most of the time, it's like all clean, spick and span. Okay. It is. All right. But sometimes, you know, there's some bad days when you got little kids. You know, it's just tough. It's tough work. I want to be filled with the with the the love of Christ so that when I walk in to my house that the full measure of his love is what's coming with me. That when I bring the love of Jesus what happens is it brings peace, right? When I'm present, I'm present with Jesus and I'm present with my family that I'm actually bringing peace into maybe a chaotic environment being present. It's not just about our own family either. See, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He calls us to be bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity in the spirit and bond of peace. See, when I'm filled with his love and I choose to engage from that place that I actually maintain unity and I actually bring the spirit of peace with me. Amen? All right, number two, serving. I'm going to try to roll through these, all right? Serving. Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give, there it is, give his life as a ransom for many. If we want to be like Jesus and love like Jesus does, we must become a servant. See, the world says climb, run over people, you know, make it happen. You know, do it and run over people if you have to. But Jesus says that even him, the son of God, didn't come to be served, but to serve. Philippians 2, 4 through 7, let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. See, Jesus 
the one person in all of human history that could have commanded the entire world to bow at his feet, emptied himself and became a servant. Even him. So to show love, to show the love of Jesus is to be just like Jesus, to empty ourselves and serve others. Number three, giving. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? God is a giver. It is his nature. It is who he is. And love is always his motivation to give. When we are filled with his spirit of love, you will all of a sudden just have this urge to give. It's, it's just weird. It's like when I, when I, it's just like, man, I'll just give it all away. You know, I just think about Zacchaeus, right? So Zacchaeus, the wee little man, you know, like he, he gets so impacted by the love of Jesus, who Jesus is, that he literally just, he just pays back everything that he owes, right? He just all, he gets so impacted by the love of Christ that he just gave, just gives, gives, gives. That's who, why is that? Because that's who Jesus is. That's who God is. He is a giver. I love uh, Pastor Jackie White, who was with us a couple uh, couple months ago uh, from Lubbock, from Church on the Rock in Lubbock. He he shared this one thing that he said that he he, he and his church live by this statement is they live open handed, meaning that whatever God has given us. Whatever God has given me, I'm going to have open hands with that. I'm not going to grasp it. I'm not going to hoard it. I'm not just going to try to use it on myself. I'm going to be open-handed so that I can, when God speaks and says give, I can much easily, much more easily give what he's trying to pour out. See, God wants to use you, your open hands, to impact the world around you. I don't, it has nothing to do, it doesn't really have anything to do with money, maybe a little bit, okay? But God wants to use your open hands, what God has poured out in your life, whatever that is, to show his love to the world around you. God wants to use our open hands as Harvest Christian Fellowship Seymour, Texas, to impact this city, to impact this region, to show the love of Christ. That's why we exist. If we're here for any other reason, we need to, we need to change and, and, and go back to this, right? The only love I can give is the love I receive. So I'm gonna close right here with this passage in John 21. This is an amazing passage of scripture. So just to set the scene uh, of this passage of scripture, Jesus had already gone to the cross. He'd already been buried. He'd already rose again. He'd already appeared to his disciples. So in John 21, you pick up where um, Peter, you know, this was even after, okay, so after, this was after Peter had already denied Jesus three times. Y'all remember this story. He'd already denied uh, Jesus three times. And I'm sure Peter is feeling ashamed. He's feeling like pretty beat up, like he didn't stand with Jesus when it mattered. You know, Peter was kind of considered like, you know, Jesus's right-hand man. He's the guy that's always showing up, showing out, doing awesome stuff. And then when it came time for him to show up and stand up, he ran. 
So, G, so here's Peter, John 21, ashamed, feeling weak, and he goes, he's actually gone back to what he has always done, and what's that? Fishing. So G, Jesus comes back and appears to his disciples, and then Peter's probably like, I'm going fishing, you know, because he's ashamed, right? He didn't stand with Jesus when it mattered. So they're out there fishing, and it's the same scenario, if you remember in the chapter of Luke, when, when Jesus calls Peter for the first time to come, I'll make you follow a fisher of men, okay? I'll make, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, right? So he's out there doing the exact same thing, same scenario, fishing, 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 not catching a thing. Jesus shows up on the shore, and he says, cast your net again. And they haul in 153 large fish, right? Okay, so they get to the shore and Jesus, like a good servant, like a good waiter, has breakfast waiting on him. You know, like, he's just like, hey guys, I got some breakfast here. So they sit around, they eat breakfast with one another. Sure, they're, you know, it's an exchange of love. And then Jesus and Peter have this incredible face-to-face moment. And this is right before Jesus is, is, is to ascend into heaven, okay? So we pick it up here, the story here, John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to me, to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? The third time, Peter gets it, right? He's grieved because he goes, he asked me three times and I denied him three times. But this wasn't to shame Peter, one to shame him. What was Jesus trying to do with Peter? See, in the English, when we, when we uh, translate the word love out of scripture, it actually... We translate it into one word, love, but it's there's actually four loves, four Greek words for love. Okay, there's sturge, which is like servant love. I think it's sturge or storge. Anyway, doesn't matter. That's not the one I'm talking about. So um, there's phileo, which is like brotherly love, like Philadelphia. Okay. There is eros, which is like romantic love, and then there's agape love. So if you look at a, do a word study, when we read that, it says, Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you, but it's, they're actually using two different words. Jesus, sa- or Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, you know that I phileo you. And he says, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, you know that I phileo you. Peter, do you agape me? You know that I phileo you. So Peter, right here in this moment, is actually admitting his weakness. He's like, I can't love the way you love Jesus. I can't have, I don't have that same kind of God love that you have. 
But Jesus is going, what he's doing right there is he's actually calling Peter into this agape love. He's calling him out of that phileo brotherly love and into the agape love of Jesus. He's not trying to shame him. He's not trying to beat him up. He's saying, hey, you remember that day that I called you on the shore to come follow me? I'll make you fishers of men. It's an interesting thing. He says, you know that I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. So what is he doing? Jesus is calling Peter into this agape love. Why? Because he loves Peter, but because he knows that Peter needs to have this love to feed his sheep. He needs to receive it. So Peter, even in admitting his weakness, like I only have this brotherly kind of love, but Jesus is actually calling him to a deeper God kind of love. This same Peter, same shame-filled, weak Peter, just days later, after Jesus had ascended, ascended into heaven, they're waiting in the upper room. The Holy Spirit falls on them. They begin to speak in tongues, prophesy. Peter gets up, shares the gospel, and 3,000 people come to Jesus in that moment. I would be willing to bet is because of this moment right here, because he was filled with the agape love of Jesus. His Holy Spirit was poured out in his heart, and he went out, shared the love of Jesus, and 3,000 people came to know him. This agape love of Jesus is what birthed the church. So when we're talking about being a healthy church, this same agape love has to be our motivation. We, like Peter, Jesus is calling us into that love this morning. So what's at stake if we don't have an encounter with the love of Jesus? Well, it's people. It's people. Jesus wants to pour out his love, his agape love into your heart so that you can show, so we could show the world that same agape, unconditional, self-sacrificing love, that God kind of love. What's at stake is people knowing and experiencing the agape love of Christ. That's what's at stake. Jesus wants to, us to have an encounter with this same agape love and it for it to, us, it to motivate us to show love for the world. This love is why we exist. It's why we're here. Has to be. And Jesus says, this is how you prove that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another just like I love. That's how you prove that you're legit. That's how we prove that we're legit. That's the only way. We can say all kinds of things. We can do all kinds. We can have awesome music. We can have incredible kids ministry. We can do all these things. But if we have not love, right? What does 1 Corinthians say? 
that you're nothing but a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If you don't have the love of Christ pouring out of us in everything that we do, then we're doing nothing. We got a nice social club. Laying down our life just as, just as he did. You know, it's about time that the church stops asking people to lay their life down for it and the church start laying its life down for the world just as Jesus did. Let's stand. So just uh, had this on my heart this morning just for just a ministry time. Um, I felt like God told me that there's there's two, two kinds of people today. Okay, two kinds of people that you have not yet at all received his love. Okay, you have not received his love. You have not made the decision for the very first time to say, Jesus, I want to receive that gift of love for me. But you've never done that before. You can do that today for the very first time. You can join his family. You can join in his love today. And the second group of people, which I think is every single one of us, is that we need to be washed and renewed again in his love. That's not just a one-time deal that we can actually on a daily basis, moment by moment, receive again this gift of love, that it comes without measure. And so whatever group you may find yourself in this morning, the prayer is still the same. Jesus, I want to receive your love. So what I want to do this morning is I just want every, everybody to, to bow our heads, close our eyes, and, and let's just receive his love this morning. I believe that when people are hungry and they want to receive the love of Christ, that he is good and faithful to pour it out. And so, Jesus, we just ask right now, standing right here, right now, God, that you, you just pour out your love on us right now. Oh, we, we, put a, we put away shame. We put away condemnation. We put away fear. We know that your perfect love casts out all fear. So Holy Spirit, by your Holy Spirit right now, fall with your love this morning. Pour it out and we receive it. Our hearts are open. Our hearts are ready that even if we've, we've been followers of Christ for many years, we want to receive your love new again this morning. Jesus, pour it out on us. And if you've never received this love for the very first time, if you've never done that before, I just would just ask that you would just open your heart and ask Jesus, Jesus, I want to receive this gift of love today. Pour it out, Jesus. Pour it out, Holy Spirit, right now in this place.
couple of things that I think that, that keep us from receiving the love of God um, is fear and shame. So God, I just declare right now that the spirit of fear be gone in Jesus' name over every heart. The spirit of fear would be gone in Jesus' name and would be replaced by the love of Christ. And I declare, God, this, the spirit of shame that says that I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I can never be loved. I pray right now that the spirit of shame would be gone in Jesus' name and that your love be poured out in this place this morning, that your love would replace that shame says Jesus that you despise the shame. You despised it. Why? Because it keeps us from receiving this agape love. So Jesus, we say right now, we despise it just like you do. The spirit of shame be gone off of people's hearts today. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us. Let's just, let's just lift our gratitude to Jesus right now. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us, that you gave your life for us, that you have set us free, that you have made us sons and daughters, that we are set free today. He says that we are overwhelmingly conquer in Christ Jesus and that it's all done because of your love for us. It is your love that, that sets us free. It's your love that sustains us. It's your love that washes away every fear. So God, we ask right now, thank you that you're doing it. We are so grateful for who you are and what you've done. Seal it on our hearts this morning. Seal it on our hearts this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen.